What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica. Meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Mortada El Fadl. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Sundays with Kate. This is your host, Mortada El Fadl, and I am with my guest for this I'm Not There episode, Chris File. Hi, I am here, however. I'm so excited. I'm not there. <laughs> I'm excited to have you, Chris. So, I'm so excited to be here. I'm so happy that you asked me. Well, of course. You were top of my list. You were right behind Kate. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I think that's probably the greatest compliment I've ever had in my life, to be second in line to Kate Blanchett. So I will take that and run with it. <laughs> so before we uh, start talking about I'm Not There, can you tell our listeners about you and what you do? I'll let you tell them what you want to tell them. Oh, um, hi, guys. I'm Chris File. I'm a writer and I'm a podcaster. Murtada and I both write um, at the Film Experience. Um, I also co-host This Had Oscar Buzz. It's a podcast with Joe Reed. We talk about movies that were campaigned for Oscar but didn't get any Oscar nominations. Famous Kate episodes that we've had so far. We've talked about The Missing. We've talked about The Gift. Oh, yes. Well, we'll be discussing truth. So I will be discussing Kate monologuing in that movie, one that features much more of her than I'm not there but yeah so yeah that's, that's a recent that's one me. which is funny because Kate had a lot of like this had Oscar buzz movies between Elizabeth and the aviator yeah <laughs> and that's uh, after that period but like yeah we've talked about on that podcast I'll be really excited to listen to you guys talk to some of that period of movies that kind of at least in our consciousness blur together it's a lot of mm -hmm. like just her face on posters we're talking about the Charlotte Grays the Veronica Garens but yeah, yeah she... so I'll be excited to hear your guys' take on those movies she's always the titular character Yes, yes. <laughs> Elizabeth and Oscar and Lucinda. But I'm Not There actually sort of realized the promise of its Oscar buzz was a nomination for Kate. So you guys can talk mm -hmm. about her, so which is why it's exciting to have you here talk about this movie. And why did you choose to talk about this movie, Chris? Okay, so you gave me a couple of options, and this one was right there on the list. And it, I, like there were some other good titles in there, but part of the reason I chose this one is it's an interesting performance of hers to discuss because at the time there was a lot of discussion back and forth like it's it's certainly not a movie for everybody it's not going to be a performance for everybody and it feels gimmicky to some people and i think the movie itself to a lot of people doesn't register um and it's very strange and abstract and it's doing a lot of different styles and to essentially assess Bob Dylan, who is really, really difficult to distill down into one thing. But I guess the reason I chose it is I am actually one of the louder fans of this movie. I like this movie quite a bit. I love her in it. So it was a little bit of let me get on mic and defend this movie. 
and definitely defend the performance that's like so slippery and tricky to discuss in a way that doesn't reduce it down to a gimmick or the fact that like she's just playing a man and it's this like one of her more stylized performances that's definitely why i went to choose this movie and it also allows us to discuss todd haynes a little bit as well yes Um, because this is usually the one when people are like saying their favorite todd haynes movies that everybody offers as their least favorite i like to think that there is no least favorite todd haynes movies he only does great movies i actually will disagree there is a least favorite todd haynes and it is without Uh a doubt wonderstruck Oh, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I guess I, I was even forgetting Wonderstruck. I would even defend Wonderstruck. I like um, ultimately where Wonderstruck goes if it's a little boring in the middle. But yeah, that's actually probably right that Wonderstruck would be a lot of people's least favorite. But we're here to talk about Todd Haynes' 2007 film, I'm Not There, which is about the life of Bob Dylan. So six characters embodied by six different actors play different aspects of Bob Dylan's life and work. So the six are Ben Wishaw, Christian Bale, Richard Gere, Marcus Carl Franklin, Heath Ledger, and Kate Blanchett. Uh, I think that's all six, yeah. yeah. So she is Jude Quinn, who is a riff on electric guitar 60s, sort of counter-revolutionary Dylan. Um, So this is the time in his life after he went electric and was no longer a folk singer. In fact, that's the first introduction of the character played by Kate is in that famous concert. I think it was in Newport somewhere where Dylan came out and sang with an electric guitar. And it's the introduction is very funny and it sort of sticks because... Uh, the band, including Jude, have machine guns and they kill the audience, which is mm-hmm. like a sly bit of comedy from Todd Haynes there. So the film came out in 2007. Um, it's very famous in that it's the same year that Kate also played Elizabeth. So in the sort of like Kate lore, in these two movies are sort of... Um, always uh, put together because they came out around within weeks of each other. Um, Mm -hmm. I think one was October, one was November. And it gave her a lot of notices and press about her range. Like she can play Elizabeth and Bob Dylan in the same year. So if nothing else, it added to sort of that aspect of her career as sort of, quote unquote, the best of her generation because of her range. Mm hmm. And, like, I mean, I guess in the grander sense, what she does in I'm Not There could be a finger quotes stunt in terms of when you're looking at a career because she's playing a man, a very famous man, at one of his most idiosyncratic times. Um, I mean, Todd Haynes even says that he wanted to cast a woman, and I guess I, I forget whether or not Kate Blanchett was the person he had in mind, but for this role to kind of give the audience a sense whether or not they know Bob Dylan. I mean, to say you're a Bob Dylan fan is like a whole other level because then you'll have the hardcore Bob Dylan fans like really jumping down your throat. Um, But to give like an even unfamiliar audience a sense of how much of like this kind of revolution, this idea of not wrongness, but, 
you know, going against the grain of what an audience is expecting. And that's why he cast this era of Bob Dylan as a woman. So to answer your question that the character of Jude was always conceived for an actress, but it wasn't conceived with exactly Kate in mind that came in later. Uh. Um, I think one of the things when I was reading about the film that to me was interesting that she she sort of said that when she was offered the part, it was because she was tasked with inhabiting the silhouette of 1966 Dylan. Mm hmm. Because that was sort of a really iconic silhouette, but Haynes wanted to give it a sort of an ironic read and not just cast somebody who looks like him, but somebody who's so markedly different, but mm-hmm. so completely different gender. And so that's more of an ironic take on that yeah. very famous era of Dylan. Yeah, and it gives you kind of an idea of the subversion of what he was doing at the time, too. It's so interesting. Like, I, that's interesting to say that, like, she was tasked with really embodying what his silhouette looked at like at the time. Mm-hmm. Because, like, as much as people want to call her portions of the movie a stunt, it does feel like the closest, you know it's the one that looks the most like Dylan and like sounds the most like Dylan of any of these, like Heath Ledger is not trying to really embody anything other than like when Bob Dylan was su- like a super famous Dylan or an idea of what his fame was like, you know? And like, obviously you have Marcus Carl Franklin, who is a completely different race playing Bob Dylan. And, and like, Richard Gere, who looks nothing like Dylan either, and is essentially like Richard Gere in hobo gear. Like, so it's, it is interesting to me watching this movie that like, she feels like the one that's closest to a true, like what you would see in a more traditional biopic of Bob Dylan of like, you know, you want to chase what the artist looks and sounds and like moves like you want more mimicry. And you ask for my time? Mr. Quinn, Mr. Quinn, we really do need you Listen, in... Listen, I know more about you, right, than you will ever know about me. You, you think I give a crumpet what you write in your lousy paper? Now, I don't need to look to someone else, man, to tell me I'm good. Slaughter me for all I care. I, I refuse to be hurt. Let's talk about the performance. So I know you've, you've brought up that a lot of people think of it as mannered and gimmicky. To me, I sort of like, you know, I rewatched the film again to talk to you. But um, when I, what I remembered before is sort of a lot of images of her walking. So I think mm-hmm. to me, the performance is very physical so to what you were talking about. Like she got Dylan's mannerisms, the way she talks, uh, the way she walks, I, mea- I meant... Um, or just sort of like he's so restless. It's such a physical performance. So mm-hmm. her interpretation of Jude is very restless, somebody whose body is never still. And that's mm-hmm. sort of what makes her, to me, very watchable um, in that. But it's also the flip side of that is people can say it's an affectation. Right. I mean, if anything, like her Jude is most still when Jude is being on and performing this whole other persona. Like you get the sense of a real Jude and the Jude that Jude projects for the cameras, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause a lot of Jude's footage is Jude being interviewed or Jude monologuing to the camera. And we are essentially like the interviewer to Jude. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, like I think even if maybe if we watched it side by side with a true Dylan, what like her performance feels so physically complete that it at least convinces us that she's doing a version of Dylan, even if it's not exactly like it, you know, like it feels very like real, like from the feet up this full performance. Um, I don't know. There's also a certain part of her performance, too, that, like, makes it a little bit more wowing that the movie is truly, like, built on artifice and all of the different Bob Dylans have their own, um, like, assigned style that the movie goes into, like, completely different cinematic styles. And, like, you know, um, Jude's is very, like black and white documentary style for the mm-hmm. most part like the um is it no way back was the documentary at the time uh with bob don't dylan look back. don't look back um but like at the same time like yes it is true that the movie is doing all of these different like kind of flashy things that like are very apparent to you and like some might say pretentious or some might say artificial um but I think that her performance, when you are actually just watching it, mm-hmm. if you, the once you get over the shock of a woman playing Bob Dylan, it feels so natural. And like all of her physical mannerisms do feel organic to what the composition of the character is. Yeah. I mean, you know, reading, I went and read some of the reviews and I really like what Jay Hoberman said in The Village Voice about the performance and about Haynes himself. He said like, you know, Haynes is not a natural filmmaker. I'm paraphrasing. But mm-hmm. sort of what he asks of Franklin and Blanchett is what makes this movie interesting. So because they blatantly alienating the audience by not being like um, Bob Dylan and sort of that mm-hmm. adds to this, what Haynes wanted to yeah the reaction he wanted to get out of people. Yeah. I think that alienation is an interesting idea. And especially when you're talking about the genre of this movie, like Mm -hmm. musical biopics are usually like kind of like comfort food movies, you know, Mm -hmm. like, you know, the formula that they're supposed to follow. Like it follows kind of the emotional journey of the artist that we most know them for. Um, And like, we get to have like easy satisfaction by being told the story we already know. And this movie is very uninterested in doing that. And I think even some of the performances, like alienating is very uh, an interesting word choice because I think of even like Christian Bale, who's probably doing his version of a literal Bob Dylan Mm -hmm. impersonation, but he looks nothing like him. Um, So it's very like strange to watch in a way that like I think because of what Todd Haynes is going for makes you really kind of grapple with the artist himself who is very hard to place. So it's like, how do you define someone who is not easily defined? Mm-hmm. But Kate Blanchett, on the other hand, is like the most like the thing that you can grab onto the most because it feels the most real. And I think by design. Yeah. I mean, I, I really love this performance. I've, I've always liked it. You know, I didn't see the movie when it came out. 2007 mm-hmm. is my sort of missing year in movies. I don't know what I was doing, but. I look back at 2007 movies and all these movies, I didn't see them when they were released. I I saw them years later. I guess I was busy that year. So I saw it maybe uh, like a year later or something like that. But it always stayed with me because Kate is somebody, I love her for the way 
that she can take a character and make them real, but also at the same time, I think there is always artifice in what mm-hmm. she does. She's someone very concerned with how she looks in the frame. Yeah. This comes most evident when she works with Haynes because he's also somebody concerned with the mise-en-scene and using his actors mm-hmm. within the frame to sort of get a tableau and not just an effect. So, and this movie is like that. Her performance is like that. She does mimic Bob Dylan in the 60s, but it's also completely not real. Not just mm-hmm. because she's a woman and he's a man, but because everything is the way she walks around, the way she sits and slumps. Everything is never relaxed, but also that's what makes it great. It's mm. the character is not relaxed, but the actor is giving you what you need to enjoy the frame. Mm-hmm. And so, it's like the most honest way to capture Bob Dylan, because Bob Dylan, like you think of his music, especially his earlier music that this movie kind of tracked or the first like few decades of his career. And it's like, it feels like so authentic, especially to the time of music, but also at the same time as a person, Bob Dylan's a bullshit artist. Um, <laughs> like he, he's a liar. He is like intentionally provocative for the sake of like being combative sometimes, but also actually affecting change at the same time. So yeah, like it, there's something about, you know, that tension between the real and the not real that makes the movie exactly what it needs to be in order to like be an authentic portrait of Bob Dylan mm-hmm. as a person and as an artist. Yeah. So we talked about Kate and we touched a little bit on Bale and Heath Ledger. But do you think all the six personas of Dylan work? Do you like all the performances? I personally do not like Heath Ledger in this movie and not just because he's just playing himself but I think that's mm-hmm. the least part that moved me even though I really like Charlotte Gainsbourg in the same part but it's mm-hmm. sort of that's like the yeah, traditional biopic sort of yeah. like just following a marriage disintegrating where everything all the other five you feel are a riff on on what it means to do a biopic so what what where do you yeah. stand on the other performances um, I mean, it's interesting. I think to a certain degree how much I like them is how to the degree that it's actually interested in Bob Dylan and I think probably Richard Gere is the least interested in that's the portion that's least interested in Bob in Bob Dylan and like I don't think really Richard Gere has much to do so maybe that's why he's my least favorite Heath Ledger it, it definitely feels like you're or Todd Haynes might be playing with the type of celebrity that Heath Ledger had around the time that this was filmed this is of course um the this is the same year as the dark knight being released correct no this was released the year before this was the last oh, okay. film released while he was still alive but still very kind of like our mind goes to the type of fame that heath ledger had at that time i actually really like ben wishaw mm. um in this movie um especially if you want to see i mean like he's a pretty like good bob dylan in terms of you know, looking and sounding and behaving like that character. But, like, he doesn't really have his own... He's the one that's featured the least. You know, he's just in those, like, kind of interview clips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he's really good. <laughs> Christian Bale, I go back and forth on. Like, I feel like... 
for an actor that does a lot uh you want to talk about gimmicks and like he Mm. does like different things with physicality and sound and it's like he clearly tries to nail the sound of this version of dylan and like a hostility almost and he also is when like dylan found jesus Mm -hmm. um yeah. But like I Christian Bale, sometimes I watch this movie because I've seen it probably a dozen times now. And I'm like, maybe Christian Bale is actively bad in this movie. <laughs> um, but I don't always feel that way. Um, I, I but think... it's definitely Kate at the top without question. I don't think Christian Bale is bad per se, but I think he's the only one who's not having fun. Like I think Christian yeah. Bale is not in I'm Not There. Christian Bale is in a straight biopic of Bob Dylan directed by Tom. Yeah, Lieber. he he's in like Michael Mann's Bob Dylan biopic or something. He definitely is the one that's like as much as this movie is a bunch of different movies, he's in his own movie. Which is so funny I don't because know. I think the the part that that is a straight biopic is the Heath Ledger part. It's not the Christian Bale part. So there's like a disconnect there. But it feels like more of um, Charlotte Gainsborough's story, which I'm glad you brought her up because she's really good in this movie as well. But obviously she's not playing Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah. No, she's great. I, I remember like the first time when I saw it years ago, she was my takeaway. It's like, oh, wow, you know, Kate is amazing and the best performance, but also, wow, Charlotte Gainsbourg, well done. <laughs> We should also mention uh, Julianne Moore is essentially paying, playing a version of Joan Baez. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you've ever uh, there, I think it's even a riff on a particular interview, which if you see it, it's actually uh, her performance is kind of funny for like the ticks that she picks up from Joe Baez. What is the, um, Is it an interview from a documentary? I forget. I've, I've seen it before because I remember someone sending it to me like this is what Julianne Moore is doing. But I honestly couldn't tell you where to find it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw it and I was like, oh, my God, that's hilarious. But and yeah. I think Michelle Williams is playing a riff on Edie Sedgwick. Yes. They mentioned something about Warhol. Mm-hmm. And she's very fun, if a little mannered, I have to say. She is fun, but also I, I don't think she has as much control of her instrument as she has now, which is amazing mm-hmm. because when she played Gwen Verdon recently, she was so fantastic. And I think she's... Um, and I'm happy like in that in a decade... She's gotten so much better. Ah, uh, true love here in the land of Charles Atlas and the bomb. Oh, fuck off. She's been kind of <laughs> uptight lately. Oh, she has always seen Yes, in fact, if you'd like to know, it's been complete shit. Angelina's been missing for four days. Her cat. Judy knows who Angelina is, don't you, Judy? If you're asking if I remember your little pussy, of course I do. <laughs> Charming. <laughs> she has the sweetest little pussy. We forget that Kate Blanchett and Michelle Williams have been seen partners before. I know nobody ever talks about that in like yeah. sort of like actresses who acted together. It's forgotten, maybe because Kate is playing Haynes a man. Movie at that. <laughs> yeah, and Kate and Julianne Moore have been in three movies together, but I think they only shared scenes in the first movie, the one with um, Rupert, Rupert Everett, that I, uh, an ideal oh, husband. Oh, an ideal husband, that's right, because they also had this and they have the shipping news. Yes. So, yeah, 
but also no people don't really talk about them being in movies together because it was a yeah. long time ago and they are the two actresses who have worked with Haynes more than once mm-hmm. i guess michelle williams now too because she was in wonderstruck the beloved wonderstruck as we have mentioned before so one point that came to me a lot as i was watching this I'm not really a huge fan of this movie, but one thing that made it land better with me this time that I, w- that I was watching it is sort of the recent corporatization of the music biopic with movies like Rocketman and Bohemian Rhapsody. And yesterday, it sort of makes you appreciate this riff from Haynes on the music biopic. Do you think that? Um, I mean, a million percent. Um, it was one of the reasons why, like, this was the movie that I wanted to talk about a little bit. I mean, even though this has nothing to do with Kate, but, like, I think there is a certain element that, like, if this movie had come out this year, even, people would be way kinder to it. I mean, I think even, like, Rocket Man this year got a much freer pass simply because it tried to do something a little different. Um, It's more of a musical than it is a traditional straightforward biopic, even though it is still that. And it's also coming off of Bohemian Rhapsody, which is obviously very well-loathed, even though it is also very popular. Yeah, I mean, I think it really goes against the grain of what a traditional biopic is, especially in a way that is really in tune to who this artist fundamentally is that I think is really interesting that should have the movie should have gotten more credit for it at the time. But I think if people revisited now, they would definitely appreciate that more about it because we've grown more and more weary of these type of biopics and they're not going away. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I hear that they're doing a, a, a yesterday, like with the music of Prince. So, ugh. Oh, I have not heard that, but oh, please. We already have, we already have a, not just Purple Rain, we have Prince concert movies. We don't, we don't need that. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, can we make a case for this being Kate's best performance? Because I think if you just take her part, it works as a whole. Like, I don't think the whole movie works. Um, And maybe this is where you can tell me why you think it works, but but before we get there, does can you make a case for this being her best performance? Um, I mean, I, I think somebody definitely could. I don't think I would be the person for it because, I mean, I would probably jump towards, like, Carol. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think it's up there. It's probably in her top five, if not close to her top five. I don't think she's a performer that we associate with risk. And it's definitely her riskiest. Like, you can definitely sense her as a performer not taking, I mean, of course, by the mere concept of it is Kate Blanchett playing Bob Dylan. It is essentially risky. But, like, you can see her really going all in on that and not making the easy choices and, mm-hmm. like, still um, being the kind of performer that we know her to be, that, like, she can be powerful and confrontational um, and vulnerable, um, and particularly, this is probably the version of Dylan that we see that is the least vulnerable, and she still finds those things, mm-hmm. um, and that she chooses to find them. I think you can definitely say it's her riskiest performance. I think, you know, when we talk about risk, I, I think that Kate doesn't get as much credit for risk, 
But like, I think her riskiest performance is Blue Jasmine because oh, that yeah. performance is so big and huge and mannered, and that could have like she could have fallen flat on her face on that. Instead, she succeeded. Kate was definitely singled out as the standout performance, not just mm-hmm. with awards, but with critics. Like I'm reading these critics, and almost every single critic who wrote about I'm not there says a variation of that's the performance that works. So beyond sort of like the gotcha gender bending aspects of the performance, was she singled out because her part of the movie is the one that works? And why do the other parts maybe not work as well? Why do you think? I think the movie itself doesn't work as well as I think it does if she's not as amazing as she is. And if because it is structured for this time period, obviously one of Bob Dylan's most famous time periods. The movie itself kind of hinges on her segment um, in a way that like at least pieces of the others feel a little more extraneous. Like this is the central piece of the movie. So like it does rely on her to be that good. And she is that good. I definitely think that it's warranted that every critic is talking about her performance when they talk about this movie because a she's that good but she's also that integral to the movie working yeah so what are some of the scenes that i like like i you know when i remember this movie i remember images of her but now that i've watched it again i sort of like think the press conference scene is such a a standout and she's so great just Forget what is being said, which is, I think it's a, it's a thesis of the film, but just sort of the way she like fidgets for a cigarette or asks for it to be lighted. Just the physicality mm-hmm. of that scene is, is something that's great. What are mm-hmm. some of the scenes that you like f- for her? I mean, the, it's it, it's almost like a fourth wall breaking. Everybody talks about the final shot of Carol where like she's essentially looking into the car- the camera and it's memed to death but like she also does it in this movie too or at least I I'm positive it's not the last shot of the movie but it's her last shot she's just done some like little mini monologue that's like very introspective and like revealing of who Bob Dylan is as a person and she looks into the camera and there's this flash of it at the end that is breaking down the artifice of the character to where it's like, it's almost like you have a moment with Kate Mm. and there's something essential about that, that I maybe won't describe all that well, but like, this is a biopic about somebody who adopted several different personas and to see that break down is so smart and to like have the perform and of course it's like Kate Blanchett and it's like when we're watching it it's like we're watching this character and then all of a sudden we're having this like private moment with Kate Blanchett where she just smiles at us um so it's like it's also a diva worship thing <laughs> but yes. it's so like it's it's like this like sp- Spark, like you feel it in your gut of like the actress thing, but it's also like um, like the movie's thesis kind of clicking into place in a way that like is just magic on the set that happened to be caught on the camera. You know, yeah. that's that's the little brief moment I think of when I think of this performance. Yeah. Yeah. You described it well. I, I love that moment, too. I also like uh, sort of the meeting in the car between Jude and Ginsburg. David yeah. crosses Allen Ginsberg. Mm. 
that's her funniest moment. It's sort of just the way that she's so excited to meet Allen Ginsberg, but yeah. a little perplexed by him. Um, yeah, that, I love that scene too. It's interesting to see how she plays Jude as like odd and um, like kind of wowed by Ginsburg, which of course like that's who Ginsburg was at the time. But like rather than being like this kind of nervous version, like she kind of relaxes into it. Like she just experienced something euphoric. It's it's interesting. And like you said, it's funny. This performance is funny. Like, she doesn't get enough credit for how funny she is, and she's funny even in this movie. Yep, she is. If I had a note to give her, look at me trying to give Kate notes, (laughs) I would say she says man a lot. And I know, I don't know, um, it sort of bothered me a little bit, maybe because... It's she's a woman playing a man and she kept saying man and I don't know is that an affectation was it in the script is that I I have no knowledge of Dylan especially (laughs) so I don't know if he said man a lot but I have to say she said it as Jude a lot and I was always I always be like I always like snap up snap up and I'm like okay why is she saying man again. She says it with this drawl, though, that, like, I could just listen to her say it all day. Like, man, like, if you put a sound drop in there of her, like, million mans in this movie. You're right. She says it a lot. But as someone who has been criticized for saying the word like a lot, sometimes that's just who a person is. Um, (laughs) But, yes, like, it can be a lot, man. Yeah. So Kate won the Volpe Cup in Venice as Best Actress for this movie, and she was nominated basically for all the awards. Mm -hmm. Um, She won the Golden Globe in the year that the Golden Globes weren't televised. The writer's strike. Yes. So, you know, we're both sort of award aficionados. So do you think that she could have won more awards if she gave a great speech at the Golden Globes? I mean, maybe. It's still, like... As great as I think she is, when you watch this movie, it is bizarre and it is not, you know, casual viewer friendly. It is not mainstream viewer friendly in a way that I'm still, even with her being Kate Blanchett, shocked that she got as far and was like even considered a front runner until it was like that Oscar category felt like we that that was such an exciting category because it felt like we didn't know even that morning who was going to win. Yeah. And of course, it was Tilda Swinton that won that, uh, we should say. But like, I'm still kind of mystified that this very strange movie, even for her performance as great as it is, but it's also a very strange performance, got that far. I think another actress might not have gotten nominated. Yeah. I think it's the performance is great and she definitely deserved the nominations, but I also think she's Kate Blanchett. Yeah, um, it speaks to her stature and the way that people consider her and that they would consider something this out there from her because she's her. Yeah. And you know, she won the Indie Spirits and it it's she gives good speech, but this is one of my favorite speeches of her because it's not funny or she didn't make any sort of big proclamation or anything, but it, she made her speech about Todd Haynes and she sort of said that everybody owes a great debt to him because of his body of work and he's always been independent. And that's sort of like you can sort of see the affection between them, which is why it's one of my favorite of her speeches. It's deeply wonderful. Independent spirit. 
Well, I guess it's not just where the money comes from, it's the creative thinking behind it. And I think we all owe a great debt of thanks to not only this film, but Todd Haynes's body of work, which has always been independent. And she's right, damn it. <laughs> she is. One other thing I, um, I wanted to talk about, people always talk in the media about her being one of the best actors ever. So, and I think a lot of that has to do, like I mentioned earlier, with the fact that she released this and the Golden Age within weeks of each other. And, you know, yeah. nobody talks about the Golden Age. It's sort of like just a meme now. Uh, you ask me, that's the one that's the affectation. That's the one that is, yeah, yeah, the gimmick. I Though mean, I love her, and I love her in that. Yeah, agreed. But do you think if she hadn't made those movies within the same year, would people have not thought of her as having the range that they think she has now? Is my theory right? <laughs> if those movies weren't in the same year, I mean, I think, I mean, range is something we think about when we think about Kate Blanchett. So, I mean... Maybe. I mean, maybe it's I think your your theory is probably right in that it helped her get nominated for I'm Not There because it probably uh, Elizabeth, the Golden Age probably complimented her to I'm Not There more so than vice versa, because we know what we're getting with mm -hmm. Elizabeth, the Golden Age. And it's like that's. To a certain extent, that is a movie star performance um, for a certain type of movie, for like costume dramas, a very campy movie. Mm -hmm. And then this feels like this feels like the subversion of that. So I think at least in terms of like a career stature and talking about versatility, like it gets the points of that go to I'm not there, not Elizabeth. Yeah, because she's always been very apprehensive about movies. She obviously, if you hear her talk, she loves theater much more than movies. Mm -hmm. um, she always talks about the theater. But between 2006 and 2008, she did, I think, seven films in three years. So these two plus the three from 06, which is Notes and a Scandal, Babel, and The Good German. And then she did Indiana Jones. So some of these movies didn't work. Mm -hmm. um, but most of them did. She got three Oscar nominations in two years and she was in a big, huge blockbuster. So just, I think not just these two movies, but maybe the combination of these seven movies together is sort of yeah. what got her to this, like, oh, she's one of the greatest screen actors. But then, you know, she went away for another six years and to do theater and came back with Blue Jasmine. Yeah. And I mean, some of that, too, is like she was probably being you think of some of those directors, too. It's like Spielberg, Soderbergh and Yuritu. She's being courted by these like big name auteurs and big name studio directors, too. So like maybe that has something to do with it. But like there is even a, an enormous range in those roles, too. So like <laughs> if she was going to go that route she got kind of lucky and even something like that terrible Indiana Jones movie, she emerged unscathed from that. Yeah. She emerged unscathed from that movie and the wig that they asked her to wear. <laughs> yeah. I like that performance, but then I am very earnest in my love for Kate. So I like that performance because I think she's the only person on that set that knows what that movie is. You could but say yes. 
she is she and Todd Haynes are maybe the two people who best knew what I'm not there was. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I want to just mention this very funny joke at the Oscars that year where she presented an award and after she left the stage, John Stewart made sort of the joke about what we were talking about, about the rain. She said, not only did she play Dylan and Queen Elizabeth and all of this was illustrated with photos of her. And then he put a photo of the p pit bull from No Country for Old Men. And she's like, that was Kate too. <laughs> um, so he, so Joan Stewart was adding to the legend. The myth that is Kate Blanchett. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask you questions about, we talked about her a lot, but I want to ask you about questions about what you think of Kate Blanchett since this is a Kate Blanchett podcast. So what was the first time you saw Kate Blanchett in a movie? Uh, first time I saw her was Elizabeth. So I would have been like 11 or 12 years old. I, I know people have different feelings about both that performance and that movie, but like, it's just this, and she was already established before then, but like, it's such an arrival of a performance in this fully formed performer that's like, who is this person giving this type of work and not just giving the level of like craft that that performance is, but elevating the movie along with it. Yeah. Like I still love, <laughs> I still love the original Elizabeth or the first Elizabeth, I should say. Um, but that was my first time and it was love at first sight. Same. That's why I'm, doing this podcast <laughs> yes <laughs> would you say i think you mentioned it earlier so would you say carol is your favorite performance of hers yeah um i mean uh, for somebody who is still great and great all of the time or at least most of the time um it's definitely carol for me um i get people having other options i just think it's kind of centralizes a lot of the things that i think about when I think about Kate Blanchett and just the, the degree of nuance, I don't know if nuance is the thing that people praise her for. And it's every moment of that performance is just loaded with subtext and it feels real. She feels like this fully composed person. Like she can give this whole sense of history to what she's saying with just a glance. It's like, it's a lot of like, nebulous things that feel like you can hold on to them and understand this woman. Um, but like when you try to describe them, they sound vague and the performance is anything but that. Yeah. I'm a, I am a Carol person. Yeah. I think <laughs> like everybody who us. loves Kate is a Carol person. Um, yeah. It is, I think the pinnacle, which is funny because after she made it, I think she's been lost a little bit in, in terms of movies anyway. I, don't think she knows what she wants to do in movies because after Carol, she I don't seems think to she... be like embracing like this sense of movie star a little bit. Not that I think she's necessarily been bad, but maybe she's like, like doing things like oceans eight where she gets to just like show up and be fabulous and like, you know, add maybe a layer to the myth. That's not as exciting, but still, you know, it's still her. Kate is somebody who's thought of as, you know, sort of well, let's say. In fact, some people call her overrated. Do you think she was ever underrated? Like a performance that I think is underrated? Yes. Um, I mean, I, I don't love Kate doing like European dialects. Under, I'm, I'm looking through her work 
I think if anything, it's like she does a lot of things that don't necessarily serve her, but she like shows up fully formed and like, yeah, you know, like a re like she can is sometimes the most believable thing about her movies, and they are least interested in her. Like the missing, my podcast, we did an mm. episode on the missing where it's like she's really good, but the movie doesn't really care about her character, even though she's the protagonist. Um, so it's like she's kind of just on her own a little bit. I guess maybe the the one that comes to mind in that, like, when people discuss this movie, they don't discuss her and they should reevaluate her, even though she was praised at the time, is probably Ripley, talented Mr. Ripley. Mm, yeah. She's really good and brings this really, like, necessary energy that has this, like, undercurrent of tension versus the rest of the movie just being like nothing but tension <laughs> in a way that like we don't talk about that performance enough and maybe because she's fairly removed from the action of the movie mm-hmm. but i guess maybe that's the one i would say is underrated now yeah maybe she needs to find another patricia highsmith story to do next yeah <laughs> <laughs> who do you who is your favorite kate scene partner you can say rooney mara because that's I'm the not easy answer rooney mara. <laughs> you know what i will say just for the sake of having this answer my favorite kate partner is herself from coffee and cigarettes or cigarettes and coffee <laughs> whatever that movie is called where she plays her own twin coffee and cigarettes the jim jarmus movie that's like skits basically mm-hmm. or sketches yeah. she's um, great in it yeah yeah kate's best scene partner is herself yeah that's a great answer that's the right <laughs> answer <laughs> who would you like to see her work with Oh man, that she hasn't worked with already. Well, she it can be a repeat, whatever you like. I mean, I always want, I will always want to see her be in more Todd Haynes movies. Some of I would like to see her work with a female auteur like a Tamara Jenkins that could Mm -hmm. bring out the notes in her that are really funny. I think. she has like a natural sense of humor even in something like i'm not there that just like happens Mm -hmm. sometimes um versus the times when she's like trying to be funny or making a character choice that's like is maybe like on the more forceful end of some of the things she's done but i would like to see her do a more like understated like dramatic comedy that could just like bring out those natural notes yeah i would i would like definitely to see her in more comedies too. Is there a cultural perception of Cade that you like or one that you are annoyed by? (laughs) I love, and I mean, maybe this is just like the first thing that comes to mind, like powerful, like fashion Kate. Mm, Yeah. Like whenever she has a really great red carpet and people lose their minds over it, there's for whatever reason like she keeps bringing it all the time like my mind goes to that oscar dress that was like the blue petals you know which one i'm talking about but like people always like seem to be she or she at least chooses things that are surprising or like opulent in a way that like gets people excited and yeah i don't think we talk about kate blanchett enough as a fashion icon yeah i think no big an authority than Sandy Powell has called her the best person who knows how to wear clothes. So, 
<laughs> I also like um, Red Carpet Kate, and I have... I think my favorite is the can dress um, for the premiere of Carol. Oh, um, my God. Yes. Very dramatic with the can steps. She knew what she was doing. She yeah. stood and posed every two seconds. It took her a long time to walk that those steps while Todd and Rooney <laughs> just ran up. They were like, get me out of here. She said, I'll be, I'll be right there. And she's like, no, I'm creating a moment. Wait for me or don't wait yeah. for me. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted to say about I'm not there? I don't know. I, I think listeners should, if they have not already, go back and revisit it. Not just for Kate, but like... Uh, in the musical biopic sense, I think they will find it a little bit more rewarding of a watch, particularly in light of a lot of the recent musical biopics we've had and will continue to have. So yes, go back and rewatch the movie and then you can still tell me I'm wrong, but just give it another shot. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Chris. For Thank you coming. for having me. Do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you and your work? Yeah. Uh, again, I'm Chris File. I write regularly at the Film Experience. You can follow my podcast. It's This Had Oscar Buzz. We are um, on Apple Podcasts. We are on Google Play, Stitcher. Um, our Twitter account is had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Um, and my Twitter account is Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. And you can find me on Twitter at M-E underscore says and follow the podcast at Sundays with Kate. And until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you.